Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Welcome to the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And I'm Bridget Maloney. And today's topic is what is essential in birth that most of us take for granted? Well, what do you think it is, Pat? Well, I know what it is. (laughs) Today we're talking about water. Yeah, it really is something that we do take for granted. And we had a um, super fan uh, contact us uh, who actually works for a really important organisation called WaterAid. And she said, would you two both talk about what it's like in third world countries for women that are birthing without water? Yeah, fantastic. This this was actually of immediate interest to me uh, because a million years ago when I was a medical student, I spent about uh, six weeks in Indonesia, including a couple of weeks in a regional hospital. And thinking back, a lot of the problems with infection control that they had, in, I mean, they did an unbelievable job with limited resources. But say compared to a hospital in Australia, one of the, one of the things they really struggled with was clean water. Mm. And what did you notice? Like how did they work with not having clean water? They didn't have a lot of, a lot of lots of things. Um, mm. like, like, you know, they, they, were, they were lacking in, in a number of um, the fancier, expensive things that we would have in a, in a, in a developed country to run a, a, a labour ward. Uh, but I just remember, for example, that they didn't have enough sterile gloves, so they would wash the gloves and use them again. Mm. I mean that's not ideal anyway, but you're going to need uh, you're going to need clean water. Clean water to do yeah. it in the first place. Amazing. And just to keep the hospital clean, to flush the toilets. Mm. To, yeah. Well, this was immediately interesting to me because I know that um, some people might think that I've had many careers. I have. Uh, I did start as a podiatrist. Water was important, but. My next iteration was I went into a marketing communications kind of role and I worked within the water industry. That's when we met. That's when we met. And so I was the strategic comms manager and water uh, was really um, at that point where we were in drought. So, you know, it was really, really important and it was great working in the industry at that time because, you know, water, they say, is either a a one to 100 topic and in drought it's, it's 100 it's yeah, in yeah. the news all the time. We're interested. We're interested. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I really think this is interesting for our birthing mums. Absolutely. Yeah. And to you, and th- your time in the water industry is the origin of your tendency to predict that we're going into drought all the time. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> and at the moment, there's lots of cockatoos around, and there's um, crickets in the house, and that's my Tap prediction. Trap. 
Going into drought, yep. So what I looked into, Pat, was I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to know. So we're in Victoria, um, Australia, and our public hospitals use 4,000 megalitres per year. Now, do you know how big that is, how much water that is? That's an awful lot of water. An awful lot. It's 1,600 Olympic-sized pools. Yeah, right. And that's water that has to be... Clean and clean and, and um, treated and and bounteously available at the at the turn of a tap. Yep. Mm. And so um, I thought, why don't we talk about well, for us in a um, developed country, how do we use water in pregnancy and birth? Yeah, good. So first off, we've got to be able to, we want to be able to drink it. Yep. So we want to be able to tell pregnant women to drink lots of water, and we want to be able to tell lactating women to drink lots of water. So the water that they drink has to be available and clean. Yeah, big one for me is, you know, just washing hands, reducing the risk of infection, flushing the toilet. Yep, seems like a good idea. In people's, not just in the hospital, but in people's houses during the pregnancy, they've got to be able to, you know, wash their wash their home, uh, wash their surfaces in their homes, um, keep their clothes clean and so forth. Actually, we've got a story about an Indonesian friend and a brother asked him, what's, what's the best thing about Australia? And he said the sewerage system. Yeah. So those sort of things we do take Take for for granted, granted, absolutely. Now, in a hospital, it's a bit different. Um, How else do we use water in a hospital situation? Well, I guess those ways, but we've also got to be able to, you know, clean all the instruments. Mm. Sterilisation is a big use of water. Absolutely. Um, I looked it up. It's about 30% of all water in a hospital is using uh, for, used for sterilising instruments and, and for cooling. So we've got to keep the, the hospital cool. Could you imagine oh, okay. yeah, the, um, being actually yeah, yep. in a hospital and it's, it's um, hot? Good. Yeah, mostly it's really cold though. Yeah. <laughs> they've got the temperature control a little bit too yeah. much the other way, haven't they? That's right. <laughs> Ablution. So this is basins, showers, sinks. And yes. for a, a birthing mum, it's water births. Pain oh, relief. okay. So you can get in the water. Yeah, good yeah. point. Okay. If you don't imagine trying to have a um, a birth without the just the very basic pain relief method of of jumping in the shower, letting the hot water yeah. fall onto your lower back, mm. or getting in a pool if the water wasn't clean. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Also, toilet flushing again. Twenty five percent of hospital water is used in flushing toilets, mm-hmm. um, and Food preparation, and we even thought about things like mixing formula. And like, if you don't have clean water, safe water to mix a baby's formula, if the baby was formula fed, then that's problematic too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we've got a guest coming on to join. I us. know, because that's I, as far as my knowledge goes. Well, I'm just making a mental note to ask her about formula preparation because I remember from years ago that that was an issue in developing countries that that if you didn't breastfeed, you might have had, then you would turn to formula. But there was a real risk to the baby if you were making up the formula with dirty water. Yeah. So I wonder if that's still a thing. Good. All right. Well, we have brought in an expert. um, And now it's our great pleasure and introducing Rosie Wayne. She's the Chief Executive of WaterAid Australia. Uh, Now, WaterAid enables the world's poorest people to gain access to clean water decent toilets and good hygiene. WaterAid is working in more than 28 countries globally. And uh, Rosie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be joining you and for talking about this important topic. Going, Rosie. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Now, Rosie, you're a mum yourself. Um, what got you interested in, obviously you're interested in water, but when it comes to birthing mum and mums and pregnant women, what about WaterAid got you interested in this? Yeah, well, I am a mum. I have two beautiful teenage boys and a foster son as well. And my 
It actually only dawned on me how important water sanitation and hygiene is in pregnancy and birthing after I joined WaterAid. I hadn't seen it before. You know, when there's something in your life that sort of unveils itself as you get to know more about it. And I lived and worked uh, in Indonesia for six years, um, similar to you, spending time in Indonesia, Pat. And I was working as a teacher in a really small rural community. And as was very common, one evening I got invited to go to my neighbor's house and I was invited to go and attend her birthing of her second child. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I know what, you know, I was a, you know, 23, 24 year old and I was like, oh, well, everyone else is going, so I'll join in. (laughs) Walked through the front garden and all the men were out the front playing the guitar, playing cards, entertaining the husband and all of the women went inside. It was a um, very small um, hut that was made out of local materials, very clean, swept, uh, dirt packed floor and um, I was overwhelmed as I always was by the smell of the kerosene from the lamp because there was no electricity, um, but the kerosene light sort of lit up the fairly dark room and Ernie was in the middle of that room in labour and there was this rope hanging down from the middle beam and I didn't know what that was for. I'd also never been near a woman giving birth yeah. before um, and it only took an hour or two for her going through labour until she grabbed hold of that rope, squatted over a mat and then gave birth into the traditional midwife's hands and it was an incredible thing to be part of. But it's only afterwards that I realised how lucky it was that Ernie and Leroy survived that. There was no water in the household. They had to go and collect it from a well. Their toilet was out the back. And although it was a, a clean toilet, you know, I can't imagine now for Ernie after giving birth and having to go out to that toilet in the dark to manage all of her bleeding and so on. Um So for me, I have a great passion for the importance of water sanitation and hygiene and gender equality. And then when I think about all those things that you were talking about, it's essential for women and children to have water sanitation and hygiene for a safe and dignified birth and, as you say, to survive it Mm. from an infection point of view. Yeah, wow. God, what a great story, though. Like as a 23-year-old coming into that situation, that would have been just mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And he was called Leroy, the Roy is from Rosie. To, yeah, oh, gorgeous! My privilege to be there, and then wow. yeah, yeah, wow. very well, special. You and Pat um, uh, now have another similar similarity, and that is, uh, there's many babies that have Patrick as a middle name, isn't there? Yeah, I got a few Patricks <laughs> when I was there, which was not culturally appropriate. It was just <laughs> something that, that that yeah, they were like a little uh, nod to you being there. Yeah, how sweet! And oh. birth stories are really important, mm. and you being there, I'm sure, is part of that family. Recognizing that, yeah. absolutely. So, what sort of countries are is Water Aid in now, Rosie? Um, Water Aid works, as you said, in over twenty eight countries, and in Australia, we're really focused on the Southeast Asia and the Pacific region. So, we have programs in Cambodia, Timor Leste, and and Papua New Guinea, but also other parts of the world, such as India, where I was visiting recently. Yeah, and for on. us, it's those countries where there's low access to water, sanitation and hygiene um, and where we can be really working to address the systems to change that situation. Yeah, wow. And so, you know, we started the talk with talking about birthing in a hospital, um, which is uh, where the majority of women in, say, Australia do birth. You know, I'm now realising that that was probably different. It's a different experience for these um, countries. Where did most people birth? 
in the three Cambodia and Timor Leste and um, Papua New Guinea? It's it's quite a mixed picture, and it's certainly the twenty thirty sustainable development goals that we're aiming to address poverty. That the goal is for women to give birth where there is a trained midwife and in a healthcare facility. For example, in Cambodia, that's up around ninety percent of women do give birth in a healthcare facility. Okay. Um, Different statistics, again, in terms of whether those healthcare facilities have water, sanitation and hygiene. Um, but in a country like Papua New Guinea, and it's much harder to get data, but it is particularly in rural areas, a lot less women do go to a healthcare facility. Um, in some of the um, research that our team has done in understanding where women do give birth, um, sometimes in the highlands area, women will go by themselves to the coffee plantations and give birth there or by the side of a, a river um, and give birth sometimes, again, by themselves. So it's quite a, a mixed picture. Yeah. So, Rosie, in let's, let's just um, drill down to Timor-Leste, Cambodia and PNG. How do you think women are faring in those countries, birthing women? Yeah, well, we, we know that a key cause of maternal mortality and, and, and brand new babies dying, neonatal mortality is infections. We know that that's a key cause of death. Um, and we know that a key preventer of that is water sanitation and hygiene. Um, we know from data from UNICEF that, for example, in Timor, only 17% of healthcare facilities have water, sanitation and hygiene. And in rural areas, it's a staggering 4%. So even if we don't have the exact data, we know um, what a contributor to maternal mortality not having those, those basic facilities are, plus the dignity impact um, as well of not having those facilities. So you talk about, Water sanitation and and hygiene. Can you just mm-hmm. tell us a, a specifically what is meant by those? What, what, I mean, we know what water is, but but what's the difference between sanitation and hygiene? Absolutely. So perhaps I can describe it from my recent visit to Cambodia, where I went to see a healthcare facility that had water, sanitation, and hygiene. So what that means in a healthcare facility is taps obviously for drinking water and for taking medication as as you talked about for hydration and sanitation is basically a, a toilet system so having a, an accessible toilet for patients and staff um, to use uh, and for hygiene it's hand hygiene uh, but in a healthcare facility as well as of course it's also thinking around the the general hygiene of um, a facility so in Cambodia that can look like quite simple from a technology perspective of a, a septic tank for a toilet. The important thing is that it's clean and hygienic, preventing infection, but also accessible um, for patients and staff to use. Um, one of the toilets that um, they so proudly showed me was actually in their room attached to where the women, um, the birthing ward, and they had put in and they'd done a lot of work to ask women what they wanted and to particularly ask also elderly people and people with disabilities how they could make those toilets easier for them to use. So they'd built um, benches so that women could sit and bathe after giving birth um, and had built rails so that um, 
elderly people, people with disabilities and women that might be in labour or just given birth could um, use those toilets. Um, so, yeah, very basic but very important things for, for women giving birth and also for other patients using a healthcare facility. Yeah, wow. In Cambodia, like what's the level of sewerage then? Because like, that's probably the, one of the main things, isn't it? Like that's, yeah. that's essential for a healthy society is to have a proper sewerage system. Yeah, that's right. And again, it depends it in from rural to um, urban areas. And what we see generally is the coverage is much less in those um, rural areas. Uh, and that's why for us, for what we're looking at is how can you change in the healthcare facilities, get an example, but then work across the system. So work with the health ministry, work with um, universities to ensure that there's that prioritisation and recognition of how important water is for quality healthcare. Um, One of my other joys when I was visiting Cambodia was also to meet some cleaners. Um, and too often cleaners within a birthing facility aren't recognised for the crucial role that they yeah. play. Mm-hmm. And our team had done some really great work of bringing together the cleaners and the midwives. They didn't have obstetricians, Pat, in that um, <laughs> healthcare facility, but for the midwives to understand the key role and appreciate and celebrate the role of cleaners, which I think is just so important. Yeah, we probably could do that a little bit more here. <laughs> like it's an important role in every hospital or every healthcare facility, is that unsung role within the hospital, but yeah. there's no hospital if it's not clean. No, that's exactly yeah. right. What do you think at WaterAid is the best things we could be doing to help? If I think around um, what we could be doing in Australia to help is, first of all, to recognise um, those things that we do take for granted. And I do think COVID's reminded us also we need to celebrate our medical staff and the nurses and doctors and so on. Um, but for us, what's so important is funding and support. Perhaps you already know this, but who gives a crap is a major partner yeah. of WaterAid. So just yeah. by buying. And we're a major a user of their product. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then for me, what is so important and what that funding and support and championing of the issue can do is help us achieve the, the a world where it will be unthinkable for any healthcare facility anywhere in the world to be built and to not have water sanitation and hygiene, to not have water toilets and places for people to wash their hands and keep it clean. And I think what everybody could be doing to to help is to keep that conversation going and to really be championing um, those things uh we do know that so often in discussions around healthcare, women's health is neglected and not talked about enough. So if we could be creating a movement um, where all pregnant women are, are sharing that experience um, and sharing their voices and opinion of how important water toilets um, and good hygiene are for that safe and dignified birth. Yeah. And at the start, you said one of your key sort of interests and and passions is gender equality and equity, um, and it's amazing how something like providing a good space for a woman to birth actually really champions that cause. Yeah. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. 
How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Absolutely. It's that experience. And also I was thinking about um, when you and Pat were talking before around the importance of having water to drink, thinking around pregnant women almost up to the moment she gives birth, often in rural areas, we'll still be walking to collect water. We've heard stories from women that know they're going to give birth and they'll go and walk and collect water. And we know how heavy water is. So it's up to like 20 kilos at a time that women are carrying and all those pregnant women out there whose pelvic floors just went, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really serious damage that can happen um, for pregnant women carrying those heavy weights. So it's that... Um, yeah, passion, as you say, of mine and of water aids to really be focusing on uh, gender equality, to be addressing that, those gender norms that say it's women's work mm. to collect water in many of these countries. Yeah. yeah okay. That issue I was um, mentioning before about clean water for making formula. Is that still yeah. is that still a, an issue? Absolutely, for families that do need to use formula, um, sometimes there is no choice but to use water that isn't clean or safe um, where possible. I know families, and if there's that awareness that the water isn't safe for the baby to drink, they will boil the water. But we know that that can be a real challenge for families, and we know that one of the sadly biggest killer of children under five are still um, diarrheal diseases, which are preventable, we know, um, and key to that prevention is water, mm. yeah. toilets and good hygiene so that they aren't ingesting that, that mm. dirty water. In, in the three countries that we've sort of been focusing on, what, what are really the main fi- issues that are facing them that prevents... Um, like proper water and sanitation to happen? Which I think one of the biggest things, even though we know how fundamental good water is, toilets and hygiene is to public health, it's not then prioritised um, by government. So it's not just healthcare facilities that are built without toilets and water, it's also schools. Um, and so I think it's getting it as an issue that, Uh, is then actioned uh, by governments and then um, delivered in a way that meets the needs of communities Um, and is then, it's just, for me, 
and for the work that WaterAid does, it's just so clear how every part of our lives, water is essential to it, whether it's education or health or our economy, our work. And so it's how do we get um, that awareness and action uh, behind it? Because you were mentioning before that we start thinking about water when it's a crisis, mm. when there's a drought or a flood. Um, so how can we get it part of everyday decision-making of every department? Mm. And particularly as we're talking about um, birthing, how can we make sure that um, it's seen as that fundamental both for the women giving birth but also for the, the healthcare staff, for the midwives, the obstetricians who know it's essential um, and it's not not there for them? Mm. I just couldn't imagine running a birth without water. Like, you know, from the very basic of having clean instruments and, yeah, Yeah. if you need them, yeah. Um, Yeah. I remember when I was back at my water um, authority and there was quite a few engineers that went to maybe Tima Lester to help is is that a problem too, like a skill shortage? Absolutely. A skill shortage is a big issue in many of the countries where we work. One of the challenges um, is attracting those skilled people to work in water engineering rather than some of potentially the higher paid groups like um, mining and, and civil engineering. And Yep, exactly. Um, and I think trying to attract those people to the water industry, but also in countries like Timor-Leste and Cambodia that have suffered devastating civil war, mm. genocide, they've lost a, a huge proportion of, of their workforce. Um, and as we know in all countries, often the engineering profession is also predominantly um, seen as a, a male uh, career mm. choice, which then also we know influences then what type of engineering, what solutions are developed, whose voice is in the decision when engineering designs are being made. For example, if a um, you know a healthcare facility is being designed and the toilets are being designed and there are only men around the room, it's probably not likely that they'll think around menstrual needs, incontinence for women, um, and as we've been talking about, um, birthing as mm. well. It's just so fascinating, and I'm sure we've got listeners that are both pregnant and engineers, <laughs> and I bet they're just DM us. Uh-huh. Please tell us how 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 uh, this has impacted you. We'd love uh, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to finish, uh, Rosie, with um, asking you to share with us something that you and are particularly proud of that WaterAid and yourself have achieved? Oh, that's a big question, Bridget. And yeah. there are so many things that I'm proud of. But what I I think, thinking about this conversation, an example of what I'm so proud of is the work we've done in Cambodia where we've done work in communities designing inclusive healthcare facilities, which has changed the lives of thousands of women giving birth in that area. But what I love about that work is that's been used to then influence the national design for what an inclusive healthcare facility looks like that includes water and sanitation and hygiene. So that'll, you know, impact millions of people. And they've integrated it into the what might be boring, yeah, the checklists of how a healthcare facility is monitored by government officials, which used to only include things like is there electricity, is there the medicine supplies, have they got their, um, you know, reusable gloves, uh, not not reusable, disposable gloves yeah. that you were talking about, the surgical gloves, Pat. Now those checklists include is there water supply, are there 
hygiene, um, you know, hand washing stations? Is there soap? Is there hand sanitizer? And that to me is how we'll get transformative change so that there are no women uh, that give birth in a place where there isn't water, toilets and, and good hygiene. Can't believe it was missed. Like, you know, I can't believe that wasn't on a checklist to begin with. (laughs) Well, Rosie, that is just so wonderful to talk to you. I just think you're doing a fantastic job and I've thought that for years. Not that I can remember how many years that was, but, yeah, for years. Um, And I'm really pleased to have you here. If anyone wants to support WaterAid or learn more about WaterAid, what do they do? If they just go onto the internet and go to wateraid.org.au. Fantastic. Congratulations on the work you're doing. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, Pat and Bridget, for this important conversation on something we do take for granted, and that's water. Good on you. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what a fascinating woman. And an amazing organisation. Yeah, I'm just so thrilled that, you know, it's a bit off script for us. I know, but this has been an uh, eye-opener. An eye-opener, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yes, my love of water. That is really great. Um, So, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We're going to do our... Myth or fact? Pat, if you damage an organ, the baby can send stem cells to help repair the damage. Myth or fact? Yeah, I don't know. What? Well, there's no doubt that... Fetal DNA circulates in the maternal cir- circulation because that's the basis of NOPS testing, isn't oh, yeah. it? You know, Down syndrome testing, where we take take blood as early as ten weeks, and there's f- uh, cell free strands of uh, free DNA from the fetus circulating in the maternal circulation. Mm. And I, I think there's some evidence that um, uh, material from the fetus can can wind up in the mother's organs but exactly what it's doing there and what purpose it has I don't I don't know if we know that for sure all right so what are we calling it myth or fact undetermined undetermined yeah sorry oh, a bit okay. of a, a bit of a fizzer but I can't I can't say for sure all right good I'm gonna have to look that one up. all right everyone that's it thank you for listening thank you for listening we'll talk to we'll you next be back time. next week and I just don't understand I think that we like this symbiotic nature of the mother baby unit it's a great thought it is a great thought I know <laughs> yeah. that I would like to know that the baby's in instincts. Yeah.